and welcome to Chick Check, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, and on today's episode, we have Dr. Steve Hodges, an Associate Professor of Pediatric Urology at Wake Forest University School of Medicine and the country's leading authority on bedwetting, potty training, and childhood constipation. Dr. Hodges has authored numerous journal articles and several books for children and parents, including Bedwetting and Accidents Aren't Your Fault and The MOP Book, a guide to the only proven way to stop bedwetting and accidents. A father of three, Dr. Hodges is on a mission to inform families that bedwetting is totally misunderstood and highly treatable. We're excited to have Dr. Hodges on our podcast so we can ask him all of our questions about potty training, bedwetting, and childhood constipation. He's giving us the real scoop on poop and sharing his advice and recommendations to parents out there. So let's welcome Dr. Hodges. Hi, Dr. Hodges. Thank you so much again for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay. Well, as our listeners are always wanting to learn more about parenting, I thought it would be so helpful to learn a lot about you know your expertise when it comes to bedwetting, potty training, childhood constipation. But first, I have to know, like, what led you to research and become such an expert on these topics? Please tell us your story. Yeah, that's an interesting story. So I'm a pediatric urologist by training, so primarily a surgeon. So, you know, we do surgery on congenital or acquired problems in in children. But about half the patients that come to a pediatric urologist have what we call voiding dysfunction or bowel and bladder dysfunction. So, you know, infections or accidents or bedwetting. And traditionally, I'd say mostly across the United States, these patients are not seen by the actual urologist. They're seen by physician extenders. So, nurse practitioners or PAs, and maybe physical therapists, and they're given like a cookbook therapy for those problems. And the the good news is most kids do outgrow these problems. So I think a little bit of therapy and a little bit of time, eventually they can get better. But we didn't have any extenders in our clinic. So, and it was kind of an area of interest of mine and not an area of interest of my partner. So I was seeing all these kids and I was doing the cookbook therapy and they weren't really getting better as rapidly as I would want. I was seeing a lot of failure to cure and I was running out of options, you know, like they'd show up in my clinic and I wouldn't have anything else for them because I was following the typical guidelines. And interesting thing happened is that I had to operate on the little girl that was doing well in terms of pooping, according to the parents, but was kept on having some accidents and infections and the infections were the reason for the surgery. And when I did the surgery, she was so full of poop, it actually made the surgery very difficult. The anatomy was all perturbed from the poop masses. And so afterwards, I remember talking to the family. This family was totally with it. You know, they were really involved. And I said, you know, has she been pooping okay? They're like, no, she's been pooping fine. She's on Miralax or whatever. So I realized at that moment that there's a disconnect in terms of how kids appear to be pooping and how they actually are. And the very next week, I was at a course in Cincinnati where they were teaching about how to manage some complex malformations that kids are born with and those kids tend to have constipation issues and they follow them all with x-rays so i said you know what i'm just going to start getting x-rays on all these kids because i know i can't trust even reasonable involved parents and that's how it all started basically every x-ray i would get would show horrible amounts of constipation so i thought that at the time that i had discovered something new I was so happy I was going to write it up. And I remember I told my resident to pull all the old papers. And I found that someone had actually described this in the 80s, Dr. O'Regan, as the cause of bedwetting. And I talked to him. He 
confirm my suspicions and my diagnosis. And for some reason, his assessment of it, my assessment of it, it's just not gotten either fallen out of favor or just not lost to history, but it's really not been used as often. And so kind of bringing that back. So I rediscovered something that kind of was already out there, but it's been very beneficial. Oh my gosh, that's fascinating. And now you've just been doing this for so long. I'm sure we have tons of questions and we're going to get into all of this, but I want to actually go to even before bedwetting. So our parents that are listening, they usually are listening about the toddler age and that's potty training. So let's start off with that and then get into bedwetting and constipation because I definitely want to learn more about that in a minute. But for parents, what is the right age to start potty training a child and what are the consequences of maybe starting too soon? Yeah. So the root of all evil, as far as I'm concerned in my field, is kids delaying pooping. They go too late. So if you have a child that's not pooping on time, they tend to get the issues that I see in my clinic. So most kids, I'd say all around the world, once they're potty trained, will tend to poop less than they would even in diapers, although they can withhold their poop in diapers as well. So early on when we were doing this research, we really pushed for delayed potty training past about the age of three. So three and a half seems to be like a pretty good age for most kids on average, because they can communicate with you. They can tell you if their poop is hard or they're having a hard time going. They can tell you they need to go. They can tell you they can't go. They can dress and undress themselves. So that seemed uh, pretty good. I used to be really dogmatic about it. I said, listen, don't train anybody because if they train too early, they tend to withhold more and they have more problems. What I found is that a lot of this stuff is genetic and almost all kids are going to hold to some degree. Even kids that train late can withhold some. So I still think three and a half is a good age, but with the caveat that all kids, no matter when they train, need to be pooping regularly before they train and they need to maintain regular bowel movements. And I realize some families have, you know, other factors involved like expenses or schools and they have to train a little earlier. And if you don't have a family history of accidents, the kid will probably be okay, but you still want to make sure they're pooping regularly at whatever age you train them. See, and now you said something really fascinating to me that you said that there's like family history to that and some genetics to, behind all of that. That's very interesting. And also you're saying three and a half. I'll talk to quote unquote like potty training consultants or whatever, and they're like two or three, but you're even saying three and a half. So that's really also helpful to know that even delaying it a little bit better for that communication. But my next question now for that is you're saying that you have to make sure that children are pooping consistently. But let's say a parent, you know, they have a baby and they recognize that their baby only poops maybe once every two to three days. And that's just what they do even as a baby. Is that something that they should continue doing after potty training? And then also there are children who poop several times a day. Are you saying that they should continue that same trend even after potty training when you see kind of what their frequency is when they are in diapers? That's a good point. So, you know, I know the pediatricians have a theory that if you're breastfed, maybe sometimes that there's such an efficient digestion of that nutrition yeah, that, that it's a laxative. Rare. Yeah, right, or, they'll go, right. or they'll go rare. Like some kids will go once a week. I don't know what to make of that. I think, you know, just in my own experience, my own kids and family and friends outside of work, I think you definitely are going to see an issue most of the time with a kid. They can fool you. You think they're going enough and then they'll have an eventual episode where they have a hard bowel movement, but you really need to be on it. I think once they're eating regular food, table food, that they should be pooping once a day roughly. I mean, you can miss a day here and there, but if you're eating daily, you should be pooping daily and it should be 
soft, mushy poop. In a perfect world, you know, you could give them the great diet and they would be fine. But I just don't think my bias is that modern humans just can't poop well as, as kids because food's too processed. It's not like they're out there eating raw food. You're going to eat table food that's cooked and processed and kids are too smart for their own good. So if it feels uncomfortable, they're going to hold it. And it's just getting an error on the side of, of treating it. And I know some people don't like giving Miralax, but there's a lot of things you can add in the diet to make the poop softer so the child doesn't have withholding episodes. And if they do start withholding, almost always there'll be a sign where they have, they're hiding in a corner, hiding to poop or straining to poop. If you're observant, you'll pick it up. I think the biggest mistake parents do is don't do enough to help them poop. Or they'll think that if they if they're having a constipation episode, that they'll give them something that day and it's over. Kids that are withholders tend to be withholders until they're old enough to know better. So like when my kids needed help, I gave them Miralax and kept them on it until they were like, five or six, because I knew they were still too young to know that you have to poop on time. If you stop the Miralax, they would just get backed up again. So not that there's anything wrong with them. They're normal kids now. They have normal bowel habits. They just, at the time, were anal retentive. And so if it hurt, they would hold it in. So they needed a little help. Right. So being aggressive and keeping it on board, the therapy, until they're old enough to know is very important. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. So back to potty training. So with that, what do you think is probably the biggest mistake parents are making when it comes to potty training? I think it's a combination of doing it too early and then just once they're trained, kind of checking out, you know, like, so most people are focused on potty training, right? Like three day potty boot camp, getting yes. potty trained early, getting yes. it knocked out. Like they want it gone, but that's not really what you should be concerned about. You should be Potty training is a natural process. It's like sleeping or walking. You don't have to like teach them to do it. They will do it when they're old enough and they know well and give them some guidance. The problem is if you force it on them and then you just leave it to their own devices, I have a thing, I think in the original first book that was like, what other behavior do you leave entirely up to a two-year-old, right? It makes no sense. So you really have to keep an eye on them after they're trained to see, are they going to the bathroom when they need to? And then not ignoring accidents big believer that if there's accidents that there's a cause and it's not that they're doing it on purpose or they have a psychological issue it's because they withheld and now the body's kind of reacting to that so what should a parent do when their child has an accident like for example i have a three and a half year old son and we potty trained him right after he turned three years old so he turned three in october and we potty trained him in november and he picked it up pretty quickly there were a few accidents here and there but we just thought it was part of the learning curve but he's done really well but every now and then he'll wait too long. We kind of chalk it up to like, oh, he's so entertained in his activity. He doesn't want to stop to have to go to the restroom and relieve himself. Are we just kidding ourselves? <laughs> Is there something, what should parents do in those kind of situations if they're seeing an accident happen here or there? Yeah, I need to be uh, conscientious of how I answer because, you know, sometimes I'll say some things and people really take me to my words. For example, if I want kids pooping every day and people will go to these extreme lengths to make their kid poop every day, which if they just waited, maybe they'd poop in 27 hours instead of 24 hours. So I think in general, accidents are a bad sign. If they happen rarely, so they're not even a notice, then yeah, sure, you can, you can give them a pass. But if they're regularly having accidents or regularly having to rush to the bathroom last minute, then that's totally fixable. So for your case, for example, is your son a bedwetter or not really? 
No, no, not a bad water. It's more of just during the day when he's maybe like watching a show or playing with a toy and and we ask him, do you have to go to the bathroom? He goes, no, he keeps playing. And then, and this happens maybe like once every couple months. It's nothing that's regular. Yeah. That sounds like a rare for you guys. I can tell you that in the history of the world, a kid that was withholding their pee in, obviously, and was asked, do you need to pee, has never said yes. I don't know why that is. They've, <laughs> right. they've always said no. It's never happened. Even, you know, me or you at work, you know, for holding our pee, we'll like kind of maybe get there pretty quickly if we wait too long. So you want to keep an eye on it. I do think they have, if they're backed up of poop, then they're most likely to have accents and bedwetting will be the first sign. But even uh, during the day, if you're, you're noticed that they can't make it too long without peeing or they having to pee too often or too urgently, the poop back up kind of increases the slope of that curve of where you feel full in your bladder. You know, the reason we can make it to the bathroom because we get a gradual urge and then eventually it becomes kind of annoying. And so we go, that curve may rise a little steeper. So it might go from a small urge to a more severe urge. So most people do pee when they need to on time. But if you see constant rushing to the last minute, then I would consider constipation as a cause. Okay. So yeah, that kind of leads to, you know, my next question for a parent. If a child is still having accidents just a few months after potty training, should parents do something different or what should parents do? So typically in my model, it's not every kid, but most kids, as you get backed up with poop, increasing amounts, the first thing that you'll notice will be bedwetting. And so since kids are probably already backed up when they get potty trained, they're already bedwetting. So no one really thinks about it. So they consider it normal. So I, I would even say, go on a limb and say the bedwetting in general is abnormal. So if you have that in a kid that can, you know, could wake up and go to the bathroom if they wanted to or were able to, then that's a bad sign. And then if there's consistent accidents during the daytime that are consistent, not just once in a blue moon, then it's definitely something to be concerned about because once they're potty trained, they should be able to get to the bathroom when they need to. Okay. And I would look into it. And, okay. you know, there can be other severe causes. A lot of people write these things off. And I, I don't mean to focus on, on just constipation. It's the predominant cause of accidents. But there are other medical conditions that when I see a kid, I, you know, I, I rule out in my head. But if you're just having a kid at home that's having accidents, probably it's constipation. But there could be other things. So I think it's worth looking into just to rule out the other things as well. Interesting. Okay. So now getting into bedwetting that you're talking about. So tell us just how common is bedwetting and at what age does it stop being normal? Yeah, I think the problem with bedwetting is that it is so common. It's like a quarter of kids, you know, five and under. And then after that age, it tends to start dropping off. It's a little bit consistent until five and then it gets better about 15% a year. So that's when doctors have decided it's time to treat it. The reality is that if your bladder is squeezing when you're unconscious, you probably have an issue. Now, again, if you have a three-year-old, it's potty trained, there's no need to rush in and treat bedwetting, but you could maybe think, okay, why is this happening? Why can't they sleep through the night? And can we help the bladder by maybe looking at the bowels and fixing that? The guy that we base our research on, Dr. Regan, he's got into this field by treating his son who was only four years old, but he did diagnose a problem and fixed it. So most people say five, but I do even younger sometimes just because I don't want to wait and make things a little bit harder, harder to fix. Can this be something that would affect them if it doesn't get treated even into adulthood? Yeah, you know, that's the thing. So most kids do outgrow it. It's a rate of resolution, but you can't pick out who those kids will be. There's some theories and data that you're likely to resolve it at the same age your parents resolved it. If they had it, it's not consistent. And, you know, 
you could be lucky and, and outgrow it in a year, or it could be, you know, 10 years later, 15 years later, still wetting the bed. So that's why I don't think it's worth waiting. I, I think, you know, within reason, some therapies can be started to help it resolve faster. Okay. Okay. So, you know, I've heard a lot of different causes for bedwetting and now I'm, this is blowing my mind that it's probably constipation, (laughs) but you know, I've heard the reasons of, you know, the kid is a deep sleeper or has a small bladder or has anxiety. Is any of that true or is it really what you're saying, constipation or something else? It's controversial because there's so many theories out there, but I've looked at all of them. It's not like I, I didn't go out there trying to prove constipation. It's not like I had that in my head. I went out trying to figure out why these kids were having accents. And then when I looked at the data, the reality was that this is the most likely cause. So to speak to some of the things that the misconceptions, so the sleep issues, I think is a big flaw because the only good study I've seen on sleep actually showed that these kids did not sleep any deeper than other kids. They slept less deeply. And so they never really got restful sleep. So very Mm -hmm. interesting. So they found that they didn't get restful sleep. So then they were more difficult to arouse for sure. But the reason they weren't sleeping well is because they were having bladder spasms all night. So their brain couldn't relax because they were constipated. So it's the other way around. It's not that you need to fix the sleep to make the bedwetting go away. You need to fix the bladder so they can sleep better. And then they'll have, you know, this bedwetting or fix the poop to fix the bladder. Then there's some theories about hormones. And this is very big misconception. People think that because you can give them pill like desmopressin, which affects your hormones that make you make urine, and it sometimes can help, they think that therefore there was some hormone disturbance in the child. The reality is the kids are making pee just like they normally would, and they're healthy. But if they make the amount of pee that they normally would, their bladder can't handle it because they can't hold that much urine. So then you give them a medicine to make them artificially make less urine than normal, and sometimes that keeps them dry. But it's not a hormonal disturbance. So it's not sleep. It's not hormone. Is the bladder too small? Well, yes, but why is it too small? And that's because it's like a box with a fixed size. It's an elastic organ. So it's either too tight or it's a little bit looser. It can hold more. And if you have constipation, then the tone or the volume it holds or the frequency of it squeezing when you don't want it to is higher. Those are all kind of misconceptions. I do think that If you look at how babies pee, right? So babies pee on a reflex. So if you have like a one-year-old or whatever, you know, you're changing their diaper. They just may be peeing and you don't know what's going on in their head because they're not thinking about it. It's a sacral reflex. Like it's just a spasm. Right. And at some point when you potty train, you recruit your brain. And so you can feel it and you decide when to go pee. My theory is basically based that when you're constipated, you're persisting that little, that infantile reflex, which should be going away. And so therefore the bladder just squeezes on its own accord and doesn't get to your brain, which is why you don't wake up. So I could say that if you were at a very young age, like two, that things may set off that reflex more easily than if you were older, because it's a predominant voiding pattern for them. So that's why you don't worry about bedwetting when they're that young. But if they're potty training and control their bladder, then they should be able to stay dry at night. Perfect. Okay. Well, that's helpful. So now... For parents, what is the best treatment for bedwetting or daytime accidents? Because, you know, we're talking about, you know, constipation, all the stuff and treating all that. I'm now curious if a parent is like, okay, Dr. Hodges, my kid is having these bedwetting occurrences or maybe not wetting the bed at night, but having daytime accidents. What is the best course of action? What is the treatment that you would recommend? So, yeah, again, there's a lot of 
rare occurrences that I rule out like in my head because I know what they all are. And I don't want to give the impression to parents that have a kid that is always constipation because there's some subtle differences. So for example, if you're a boy, boy or girl, number one, you should rule out neurologic causes, right? So if they have a brain disorder or a spinal cord issue, spina bifida, a tethered cord, something wrong with their spinal cord, and typically your pediatrician should pick that up, then that needs to be evaluated first. Boys can be born with a blockage in their urethra. It's a rare condition that's usually picked up antenatally, but sometimes is missed and can pick up later. So you could rule that out with some imaging studies. Your doctor can figure that out. And typically they'll have progressively worsening accidents with infections, which is a big red flag because boys typically don't get UTIs. And then if you have girls that are having continual leakage, like if the girl is just leaking urine all the time, like just dribbling urine, or they have small kind of like damp underwear and small spots that they don't feel coming out, those can be different conditions than what we're talking about. But what we're talking about, which is the most common cause, is urge incontinence. So the child basically either can't get to the bathroom on time or doesn't even know they need to go and they just flood their pants while they're awake. Like they didn't even know they were peeing. Right. That is almost always this condition. The main thing to do is talk to somebody like me that understands this concept. And most parents don't know there's a bowel issue. So it's better just to get a plain x-ray to evaluate that and then get, start treating it. And it's not easy to fix, but it's a simple process and, and you put the time in, they can definitely get better pretty rapidly. Fantastic. So now you're saying someone like you, where can our listeners find someone like you? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of people are buying into our therapy because it does work. I know Mayan Clinic, they're using it. Uh, down in Jacksonville, children's are using it. But, you know, there's still people using traditional methods and that's kind of on me because I've got to get more data out there. But in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of me, we have a website. It's called bedwettingandaccidents.com, www.bedwettingandaccidents.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Dr. Steve Hodges. And we have a Facebook page, Bedwetting and Accents. And we're pretty responsive. We have a lot of resources that are free. We have some paid resources and definitely can get in the right direction and get people help they need. Oh, perfect. Awesome. Okay, Dr. Hodges, now I have a question for, you know, when parents are seeing like their kids staying dry, does it help to reward kids for being dry, like giving them M&Ms or screen time? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a tough one because I don't like the converse of that, which is punishing them for being wet. And that, right. that's actually a pretty big problem. You know, there's a significant rate of child abuse over accents, which parents that are uneducated with this topic don't understand that childs can't control it. And there are not infrequent cases of children dying due to excessive abuse for this issue. I, I have like keep track of it and there's several every year. So I don't want to imply that they're, if they try harder, that they'll do better, but you know, everyone likes rewards. So I, I like to celebrate achievements. So if they do, I don't see a problem with rewarding them as assuming they don't punish them. Like even really advanced kind of with it, doctors will make kids like change their sheets and stuff, which I mean, I, I don't mind a kid doing chores, but it's just, it implies that they somehow had a role in this and they did not. Now, the one thing I would say is that they have to poop when they feel it. And so you have to just drive that home. That's the only thing I ever asked kids in my clinic to do. I said, you don't have to do anything except go along with the program and then go to the bathroom to poop when you feel it. And it should be a really quick and easy process. The average mammal poops in 12 seconds. It should be like uh, you feel it, you go sit down, you poop, and you're done in 12 seconds. And if they do that, then they've done everything they need to do. 
I feel like women would beg to differ with their husbands. They would be like, no, he takes a salt. He'll bring a book in there. <laughs> we're hiding. That's different. We're, not, we're, we're getting away. Right. A timer until someone yells my name. Exactly. It's usually, it's usually about 12 seconds. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So also, Dr. Hodges, what is your message to parents if their child is wetting the bed? What do you want them to know? That, yeah, you can fix it. if you. I mean, if you want to. Again, you don't have to be too aggressive in young kids. And it may be an issue for you. It's just there's a lot of mixed messages out there. So, again, I, I mean, obviously, I'm promoting my policy, but I, I don't really have an axe to grind here. I have a full time job. It's that there's so much misinformation, especially online. I remember when um, Anna from Frozen, her Kristen Bell, was Kristen Bell, yeah, she had a big deal because her kid was wet in the bed, and people were giving her grief, and then she didn't actually fix the problem. She just started waking the kid up at night. And so if someone with all the resources in the world like Kristen Bell is doing it wrong, then I feel bad for most people. So I would say bedwetting is not normal. It's overactive bladder, most likely to constipation issues that we describe in the book. because so, the definition of constipation is a little tricky, but basically kids not pooping on time and not getting it all out. And it's totally fixable. Don't fall down the rabbit hole of like, you know, all the kind of odd theories out there. And just when you think your child could use some help, get started on it and, and they can resolve this pretty quickly. That's good. Okay. Yeah. And you're so right. If people like Kristen Bell have this problem, like, yeah, it's you feel like, oh, how will the rest of us be able to do it? But I'm glad to know that there are readable resources that us parents can go to and we can fix this problem. So that's, that's helpful to know. So my next question for you, you know, about childhood constipation, you know, I feel like it's an epidemic in our culture, but often it goes undiagnosed, like you're saying, but why are so many kids constipated? Why is this happening? Uh, yeah, it's, I, I think I figured it out. So look at it this way. And it's all over the world. It's not just the U.S. I, I've had like colleagues now all over the world say, no, we see the same thing. And kind of any, any modern human. I think, number one, modern humans are too smart for their own good, right? It would never occur to your dog or your cat or your horse or whatever to hold their poop in. But a human is smart enough to be like, that doesn't feel right. I'm going to hold that in. And, and the urge goes away and they feel better and they're, and they're happy. So it's just it's kind of a uniquely human behavior. There's a lot of moments at which it happens. So, you know, when they usually start off breastfeeding or formula feeding, poop isn't too hard. But some kids do not like the feeling of pooping, and they'll have some withholding even then. But then if you change the consistency of the poop due to adding rice cereal or table food or dairy, then they don't like that, and they start withholding. Or you can have a diarrheal illness, and so it's so loose, and then when it gets hard again, they don't like that feeling, and they start holding. It definitely varies with personality and genetics, but it's a common human behavior. Honestly, I don't trust any or believe that any kid can poop normally these days without help. Uh, unless, you know, they were just living a primitive, eating just raw, whole foods all the time, you know, living outside with no clothes. I, I don't know what environment you would need. You'd have to remove all the barriers. And even then, I think it'd be tough. So I think it's just a uniquely human thing. You know, this may not resonate with most people, but it did with me. Have you ever thought to why everyone needs braces? Isn't that weird? Yeah, that's, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's teeth. Is <laughs> yeah. We're not born with crooked teeth. And the reason is, again, it's like, People used to eat a different diet. They used to eat really hard, raw foods. So if you go to primitive cultures where they eat primitive diets still, they have perfect teeth. So things have changed in modern humans that just affect how we go. And so we need braces because we don't eat the right foods. And we also probably need some Miralax or some similar laxative to keep kids pooping because they won't otherwise. 
Interesting. Okay. So for us parents who are unsure, like you said, you had this one patient whose parents were very involved, but they thought, no, our our child is fine. What's like the number one sign or what are the signs of constipation in children so that parents know what to look for? And again, I like to make the caveat that I don't, lots of kids are backed up in the world and don't know it. And it's probably okay. You know, I don't go around x-raying kids that are asymptomatic. You may have a child that feels fine. And if they had an x-ray, it would look constipated. And then you probably don't have to do anything if they've never had a symptom. But the most common symptoms, you know, are belly pain. You know, kids come in the hospital, it's an emergency room all the time for severe belly pain. They rule out appendicitis and it's always constipation. And so if you have a child that's constantly having belly pain, plenty of belly aches, that's a big sign. The number one sign on the in the toilet is excessively large bowel movements. So they do really big bowel movements. All that means is they're waiting too long and then when they do go, they're pushing out this huge, huge poop. So that's a sign they, they need to be going on time. And then obviously accidents. If your child's having accidents, get evaluated because that is most likely due to a constipation. And for girls, UTIs, if girls are having chronic UTIs without fever, because the uh, infections with fever are a little bit more complicated. But if you have a toilet trained girl with recurrent infections, then constipation is likely the issue. Interesting. Okay. So for parents, what resource do you recommend that they look into if they're experiencing any of these issues? Yeah, I think the main one is our website, bedwettingandaccidents.com. We have a lot of free, enough reading material to to bore anyone. (laughs) And we hopefully have contacts. I mean, we're busy, so we can't answer every email, but we are pretty responsive to emails. And then we have some paid resources. And then we have some stuff you can actually some doctors that are local maybe that can help you out that we have a list of doctors that kind of treat the way we do physical therapists as well and we have some things you can download for your schools the school nurses on board and for your own doctor to be like hey you know no one likes to tell a doctor what to do but there are some doctors that aren't experienced in this field and might benefit from reading about our research so don't be afraid to kind of bring it up in a nice way yeah, that, absolutely. And that's such great information. I love that, that maybe we can bring this to our schools and bring light to this because I feel like you're you're right. Not enough people know about this. I, this is something I'm learning for the first time. So this is wonderful information. Thank you. Dr. Hodges, any final thoughts or words of advice for our listeners? You brought up a good point, which is school. So one of the things, so if you have your child, you know, we talked about the potty training, how to make sure they're pooping regularly. And again, Miralax is the easiest thing to kind of start giving them, but there's a lot of options if people want to avoid Miralax. Don't undertreat it. Don't try to like say, you know, I'm going to, I mean, do what you can feed your child, whatever diet you want to as well as you can. But I find that people can waste a lot of time trying to cut out specific foods or try to tweak the diet and they don't get the benefits you need. You need no half measures here. You got to be aggressive with it. And once you're, we were watching that, you take care of it. You may be good, but school, even daycare is another big issue. You have to make sure when kids go there, that the bathrooms are clean, they're safe, the child is comfortable using it. You got to find out what the school bathroom policy is because a lot of kids will do great and then they get in that environment, they're away from home for maybe seven, eight hours, and all of a sudden these issues creep up again because they're refusing to poop in that environment. So I think, I guess, number one thing would be keep that in mind and also just keep an open discussion with your kids. How often are they pooping? Are they going? I was probably the extreme. My kids talked about it all the time because I was so obsessed with it. But you want to have at least an open dialogue of you know how their bowel habits are. Okay. Be as involved with that as you are with their diet and exercise. 
that makes total sense. I think I think it's such a for some reason people have put it like a taboo topic. Maybe it's uncomfortable or a private type of conversation, but really when you get down to it, it's just a normal biological thing that every one of us do and it should be a conversation that you should have with your child that should be made normal because it does really tell so much about their health. Yeah, for all this drive like society's made progressive views on various topics this is the one they've made zero progress in. it's amazing like okay. how am i the most comfortable talking about this i shouldn't be but <laughs> right. for sure well you're definitely bringing light to i think a, a, a topic that is just not discussed enough and i think that this will really open some eyes for parents that just thought oh i had no idea and now that i know better i know where to look and how to potentially help my child with this problem so thank you for all of that yeah. And one of the point is I won't, don't want people to see like, oh, it's constipation, then do Miralax for a week and be like, well, they're still having accents. This wasn't it. I'm confident that if you've ruled out the other conditions, this is the cause of your child's accents if they're having them. But you do have to actually fix the problem. So just giving a kid Miralax or giving them an enema doesn't really necessarily fix the problem. It's the way to fix it. But you have to have to make sure that you've actually emptied the rectum that it's come down back to normal size before you'll see improvement. Okay. That's good to know. That's good to know. Awesome. And Dr. Hodges, remind us again where our listeners can find you. Yes. Yeah, so our website is uh, bedwettingandaccents.com. We have a Facebook page for Bedwetting and Accents, a public page as well as a private page. And then I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. Steve Hodges. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us again today, Dr. Hodges. This information was so helpful and I know this will help a lot of families. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Of course. And for our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions for Dr. Hodges about potty training, bedwetting, or childhood constipation, share them with us by going to Baby Chick's Facebook page where we'll be posting today's episode. That's where we'll be answering everyone's questions in the comments. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts.